Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations, and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Now, please keep in mind that we try to keep our podcast PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. And with that, my name is Kenzie. (laughs) Hi, Emily. Hey. And I'm Abby. And that's it this week, so let's talk about stuff. Woo! Yeah. We got a shorty for you guys. Yeah. Emily B is out on vacation, and Katie is taking a very much needed day off. Yeah, Katie! Woo! All right, Emily, what's our fan shout out? Uh, no new patrons this week, but you can all join us on patreon.com slash conservation queens podcast and pledge $5 a month to become a beluga babe. We're getting stickers printed. Woo! You love stickers. You'll get a I sticker. I got some really good sticker ideas when I was in Alaska. So we'll send them my way. I got you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We love you all. Uh, become a patron. We'll shout you out on the podcast. Uh, I'm taking up some conservation updates this week since Katie is out. Uh, and I have my favorite conservation update we've ever done. Uh, over the COVID-19 pandemic, there were a lot of bad things that are happening. But one kind of positive thing is that birding has significantly cr- increased in the United States. <laughs> because Yay! it's a free activity that you can do socially distanced and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and apparently it might turn around a lot of conservation stuff for birds in the U.S. because more people are now like, wow, I love this bird. Yeah, that actually love reminds it. me. My uh, grandpa and my grandmother from Tennessee, they recently wrote to me and they were talking about how they've been putting up more bird feeders and they have a birdhouse for the local bluebirds. It's oh. really, really cute. So, <laughs> All right, well, I'll just put up my own bird feeders. Actually, there's this one that... Uh, I keep seeing called the bird buddy and it has an app on your phone where you can identify as birds that come to your feeder while you're not there. I keep begging, I keep begging Tyler for it. And he's like, we're not spending $200 on a bird feeder. I'm like, but it's like an extra security camera. (laughs) And also it'll tell us what birds are in our area. Cause I only see like sparrows and Muscovy ducks and I don't, uh, there's gotta be more. Go on Patreon so you can help Abby buy a $200 bird. That's <laughs> not what we're using the money for. <laughs> JK, JK. But a good Christmas gift idea. Yeah. There, there is also that really cool bird feeder that um, it's like a little tray that like suction cups onto your window. Um, I I worry about that one because I don't want to increase the number of birds that hit my window. So I'm oh, so like I know fair my fair grandma fair. has one. She said it works okay, but I'm I had I don't know. I haven't tried it, and I'm afraid to buy it because I'm like I don't want you to hit my window, and I'm gonna be like best friends with wildlife rehab. So yeah, 
pros of having big windows in your house. You get to view nature. Cons, nature tries to visit you. Uh, <laughs> easy fix. There are um, UV decals you can get that are clear that you put on your windows so you can still see through them, but the birds are like, ah, another bird. I'm going away. Ooh, so, which is counterproductive to the bird feeder, though, right? Because then they're going to be like, ah, I'm going away. And you're like, well, no one's eating or, or they will fancy themselves. And you'll get a show. <laughs> this this is also a big potential as well. <laughs> okay, we're spiraling. Uh, Kenzie, do you want to go off about what's happening in Canada? <laughs> well, speaking of spiraling, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so if you are like me and you endlessly scroll through social media, you may or may not have come across something called Line 3. So as y'all may be familiar with, uh, there was recently... The Standing Rock Pipeline, which was finally shut down after a very, very, very long time of protest. Well, apparently there's another oil pipeline that is proposed to go through. Now, it was first proposed back in 2014, and it looks like they're finally starting building or construction. Um, Line 3 will be spreading from Alberta, Canada, all the way up to Superior, Wisconsin, and a lot of indigenous people within this region affected say that it crosses a cr through treaty lands and it also crosses through untouched wetlands. So not only is it a environmental issue, but it's also a human issue as at one point or another oil lines do typically tend to spill. And the company that proposed the pipeline, which is based in Canada, uh, they apparently have caused the biggest inland oil spill here in North America, so they don't exactly have the best reputation. Uh, to learn more and learn more on how to support them, if you go to line three, if you Google it, uh, usually the first thing that'll pop up is the official website. Um, look and see more about the indigenous peoples that will be affected, including the, how do I pronounce it again? Anishinaabe. Anishinaabe, they will definitely be heavy hit by this if this pipeline goes through. And so, it is just a replacement pipeline, it looks like, but they're yeah. but it's diverting from the original path into new areas, especially in uh, it looks like Minnesota, mm -hmm. which is like of course close to my heart. So stop line three, write your senators, support the protests. Get an electric car. Get an electric car if you can. Car I cool. would love to, but I'm so join us on Wait. Patreon so we can get Abby an electric car. <laughs> Just reduce your carbon footprint where you can and hold companies accountable when you can. So that's yeah. it, folks. So well, let's go on to better news. Abby, I'm really I'm really proud of you for not going on about that for more than like three minutes. <laughs> you gotta keep it short and simple, baby. <laughs> All right, we've got some zoo news this week. Um, some good stuff, some one that's Kind of makes me mad, but that's okay. Start with the good stuff. There was a baby southern white rhino born at San Diego Zoo Safari Park. It's very Ooh. cute. Ooh. It's a little girl. Aww. Progress for maybe uh, the northern white rhino? Maybe. We hope so. Um, there was a baby tiger uh, born at the Dallas Zoo for the first time in 30 years. Oh, wow. Wow. So Congratulations, Dallas. You guys are babies. Um, Animal Kingdom also announced the name of their baby gorilla. It's oh, yeah. Ada. Oh, so cute. Which I thought was going to be like the Bugs Life Ada, but it's sure not. It, me <laughs> <laughs> it means first daughter. Um, 
in the local language where gorillas are because it's her first daughter the mom's cute very cute um and the last one this kind of makes me mad but it's also kind of funny um but mostly angry so there was a rumor circulating that a bunch of animals escaped the turtleback zoo due to hurricane ida which is running through the east coast right now um so apparently some idiot sent out a text message that was like attention there's gonna be like tigers and bears running around because they all escaped the zoo and the director was like all of our animals are here and accounted for so don't do that that's not funny no you're causing panic for no reason for people who are already panicked about something else you don't need to make it worse so don't do that speaking of um our hearts go out to all of you who are affected by um all of the flooding in new york and surrounding areas as well as those of you who are in Louisiana um, and surrounding areas who are also affected by the hurricane. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hope you guys are safe. Please be safe. All right. Now, because Emily's not here this week, we do not have Beluga news. So instead, Kenzie has bat news. Bat news, Bat news. Bat news. Listen, we all love belugas, but let's be real. How many flying mammals do you encounter in a day? None, except for the bats. It's because it's their only one, Kenzie. There, there is. There can only be one. The flying squirrel is stepping on some wings, and it needs it. It, it needs to go. It they don't fly. Go. They glide. They glide. The same. Mm-hmm. They fall with style. It's a controlled fall. Well, anyways, for bat news, <laughs> for bat news, oh, funny enough, I think last Beluga news, Emily informed us that they believe baby belugas actually do baby talk. Yes. Well, it turns out, so do bats. So there was a recent uh, study coming out from Central America, and they found that within roost sites, baby bats will actually practice vocalizing and will babble themselves oh. as a way to learn communication within the roost. So I thought that's really, really cool. So it's not just belugas, it's bats too. That's so cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's all I really got. Uh, next month, though, will be International Bat Month. Uh, last week of October is going to be International Bat Week. So if you guys want to talk more about bats, learn more about bats, that's a perfect time, especially with Halloween gearing up. So- Join us on Patreon and give us your suggestions. Yes. Yes, we would love that. Anyways, that's all I got. Apparently there's hyena news. Oh, well, hyena news. We're just... I, I got curious. So I was like, <laughs> no, we have never given any hyena news, like literally ever. So I Googled hyena zoo news. And the first thing that came up um, was actually pretty cool. Um, There's a couple zoos. um, It's not super new because it happened um, in spring of this year. Um, But a couple zoos got two striped hyenas, guys. No one has striped hyenas. Everyone only has spotted hyenas. Because they're not the cutest hyenas. No! The striped hyenas are so cute. Go look at them right now. They look kind of like a dog with stripes. I love them. Anyways, <laughs> um, you can find them at Albaline Zoo, if I'm saying that correctly. It's in um, Texas and Fort Worth Zoo. So if you're around there, go visit them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Sounds good. There's no porcupine news. Um, so we're going to move on to like our actual topic this week, which is 
Mangroves, baby! Mangroves! So we were going to do a biome episode about wetlands, and then uh, we ran out of time. So instead, we're going to focus on one wetland that definitely warrants more attention. So we're talking about mangroves today. So does anybody know what a mangrove is? No, Abby. Why don't you tell us what a mangrove <laughs> is? <laughs> Kenzie's lying. She knows what it is. But um, a mangrove swamp, a mangrove swamp, is a coastal wetland in tropical and subtropical regions of the world. It is characterized by salt-loving plants, brackish water, which I like to call Goldilocks water because it's not too salty and not too fresh. Uh, and mangrove trees, which is what the whole swamp is named after. So when you see mangroves, sometimes you got to get specific about what you're talking about because I ended up doing a lot of research by accident on just mangroves. Um, but it's still interesting. So mangrove stops, swamps are famous for hosting a huge variety of animals. They're one of the most uh, diverse ecosystems in the world, um, but there's not very many of them. Mangroves are also important because they protect areas from erosion, hurricanes, and tsunamis. So without them, we tend to have a lot more problems, which I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so mangrove trees themselves are really interesting because they are technically plants that need fresh water, but they live in saltwater environments. Um, and they cope with salt primarily in three ways. So the first way is filtration from roots. The roots will filter out the salt before they absorb the water. The second is that they excrete salt from salt glands on the trees themselves, which sounds gross to me, but you know, I don't know. It's like maple syrup, but it's salt instead. And then finally, they concentrate salt in the leaves um, that they're losing and then the leaves fall off. Now it has salt anymore. So it works out for them. Uh, and just like a rainforest, mangroves have zones. Um, now, there were not any names for these zones. So I'm going to name the zones for us. I love that for you. <laughs> because I couldn't find anything. Um, and the website I was looking at is primarily talking about mangroves in Australia. But uh, I'm going to name them after something that's not Australian. Um, so the mangrove, when you look at the zones, they go from the shoreline, like the ocean, and move inland. So let's pretend that mangroves are like a burrito. <laughs> this is what we're going with today. <laughs> I, I like burritos and I like mangroves. Keep going. All right. <laughs> so now the zone closest to the ocean, we're going to call this the tortilla zone, since it's closest to the ocean. Uh, is adapted for plants to establish themselves really, really easily. So there's a lot of different kinds of soil, uh, a lot of different kinds of conditions for the soil, and it's very good against standing against wind and waves. So if you Google search mangrove, this is kind of what you're going to see is this zone here. Um, usually the trees are half in, half out of the water. I'm sure that Kenzie will talk about mangrove trees later a little bit more because they're important. Um, and so that's the kind that you, where you see like most of our flora and fauna that are characterized in mangroves. The second zone in, which is the lettuce and bean zone, uh, has firmer soil and is a lot saltier. So what happens is when the water from the ocean kind of floods this zone, the burrito zone, 
uh, and then evaporates, the salt is left behind. So this is where you get a lot of like salt marshes um, and saltier swamps. And so the succulents end up living in this zone along with other kinds of mangrove trees. And the final zone is our center of our burrito with the most important parts, the cheese and the chicken zone. Uh, so these plants are a lot less tolerant to salt. So it's the farthest inland. They don't like salt as much. And a lot of it resembles a freshwater swamp more. So they're really highly affected. If let's say there is a tsunami and it floods this area, it can be a big issue. So that's kind of our burrito analogy. And I would like to formally submit this as what we call the official mangrove zones. Wait, did you guys hear Siri? A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. Right as you said, uh, like, the finishing of your tortilla conversation, it goes, I do not understand. (laughs) Listen, none of us understand. (laughs) This is, I, I, I couldn't find what they were called, so I'm turning it into a burrito. You know what? It's a great analogy. I'm here. I'm for also it. I'm also hungry, so that's part of the problem. Well, same. I'm I'm also hungry now too. So sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. So when things. when we make a burrito, which we all know <laughs> from going to Chipotle, not everybody likes the same things in it. So I gave the basics, but Kenzie, what lives inside a burrito? What might be like our tomatoes and stuff? Why don't you tell us? Absolutely, I would love to tell you guys. So. If the chicken and the cheese are the plants, then the spices and the pico de gallo and the salsa and the the verde salsa are all the wonderful animals that live inside of it, right? Because we don't want just a plain burrito, okay? Do not insult my former South Texan heart. So let's get to it, shall we? Do it! Let's hear about what's in the burrito. So as Abby, you mentioned before, mangrove swamps play a host to a large variety of animals. The tangle of mangrove roots and other vegetation along with nutrient-rich waters makes for an ideal nursery for several species. Uh, Here in Florida, for example, example, popular game fish like red drum, snapper, and even tarpon will actually lay their eggs here. And got to give a shout out to Emily B. Several shark species will also use mangroves as nurseries as well, including the adorable little lemon shark. Oh, mm-hmm. now they small. do. Now, again, they do this because, like aforementioned, this is great feeding habitat for them, but it's also a great shelter for them, too, from potential predators. So their chances of making it past juvenile stage and into adulthood significantly increase. Now, of course, mangroves are home to other more charismatic fauna like loggerhead sea turtles. Dolphins have been known to actually hunt in and around mangroves. And, of course, the ever-lovable manatee. Okay, Kenzie, I know you called it charismatic megafauna, but you know what we call that on this podcast. Big sexy sexy megafauna. We really need to get on that t-shirt design. I'm sorry. It's hard to design because I'm like, I don't really know how to appropriately design big sexy megafauna well you know we'll, we'll brainstorm it we'll, we'll work on it. it yeah Put a whole bunch of big sexy megafauna on there boom yeah. but are they <laughs> are they are they being sexy sure <laughs> i don't know well, um let's it appropriate to wear in public <laughs> that's the thing is you want to be able to wear it to like the zoo and stuff yeah all right well moving on um in addition to loggerhead sea turtles dolphins and manatees we also have the american alligator and the American crocodile. 
which fun fact here in Florida, it is the only place in the world where you can find alligators and crocodiles together, which I think is pretty darn cool. It's the coolest. It it's really so is. cool. Where's the, where the, well, now I'm actually Florida's not the best because we have DeSantis, but other things. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You it's, know, it's one of the few things Florida has going for itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To be fair, all of the crazy redneck people also in, are in love with our wildlife, so they do get kind of ticked when things happen. That that is very true. Wildlife should not belong to a political spectrum; it should be for everyone. Well, in addition to other cool animals, our terrestrial partners can include the endangered Florida panther and the ever lovable key deer, which you can oh, find in the Florida yes. Keys. They're, They're so, so small. cute. I love them. However, uh, if you see them, please do not go up and feed them. I see a lot of tourist videos of them doing that. Again, do not feed wildlife. Maintain a oh. distance. It shouldn't be that hard, but if for some reason it is. Like, I get it. They give you the big eyes. You want to look cute on your Instagram. Just d- 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 don't get a cat. Do it. Get a cat. That's what I did. <laughs> um, but or a dog. I have a dog. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Whatever fits your lifestyle better, and do your research first. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, of moving course. On. So, moving on, we can't forget about our fellow avian species. Mangroves make for ideal rookeries, and of course, because of that ecosystem, it is a never-ending buffet for our bird friends. They uh, love it. Oh, yes, they do. Some of the more common avian species that you can find here include several varieties of egrets, including the great egrets, and one of my personal favorites, the roseate spoonbill. No, oh. they are not a baby flamingo. They have a very large flat bill that ends in a spoon or rounded shape at the end that actually helps them to filter feed when they go in the water for breakfast. And they're not flamingos. No. And if you ask me, my personal opinion, they're cooler than a flamingo because they're actually born pink. And that's why people even like flamingos. And baby flamingos are not born pink. Okay, but I got to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here because as much as I love spoonbills, and you guys know I do, they're one of my favorites, but flamingos are also kind of badass. They're kind of good survivalists, you guys. That's very true. We should talk about that in a different episode, but like flamingos are kind of underrated for how insane they are. They they are very extreme survivalists. I, I will definitely give them that. Which you wouldn't think because they're so pretty. Mm-hmm. Well, in well, talking about extreme survivalists, let's move on to the star of our show today. We are talking about the mangrove trees. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> so I absolutely adore mangrove trees. Uh, we actually have a couple of them growing at the horticulture establishment that I currently work at. Uh, mangroves are very unique because they've adapted to the fluctuating salinity and tide level changes often associated within what's called this edge ecosystem. Now worldwide, yes. Now worldwide, there are about fifty-five species of mangrove trees, most of which residing within the Southeast Asian region. Uh, but here in Florida, we are home to just four. We have the white, red, black, and buttonwood mango tree. Not mango, mangrove trees. So we got some Wait. mango mangroves. Buttonwood sounds so cute. I love that name. <laughs> Doesn't it? Now. Note, though, uh, their names actually have nothing to do with their color. Which oh, find, why? It, it happens a lot in the plant world, let's be honest. Well, that's annoying. I know, it, it can be, but there are still ways that you can identify them. So your best bet is to look at the root system and also at the leaf shape. Look at their structure. 
And also, too, they're going to be more prevalent in certain zones. So, for example, the red mangrove, I always remember it's a red mangrove because their roots have formed these really big, almost cursive R-like structures, so R for red. And they're very low and squatty, so they kind of sit in the water almost. And then the black mangrove, their roots kind of come up from the bottom. They're a little bit taller. And then the white mangrove, they also have very wide spreading roots. They're a little bit taller as well. And buttonwood kind of looks more like a regular tree. That's with that's little button seeds. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's, it's adorable. I really, I, I really do love them. Mm -hmm. um, now, like you said earlier, Abby, they have several adaptations that are really, really cool. They are able to sweat out the excess salt which is pretty awesome. Uh, but what I really like about them most is they have what's called lentisoles on their roots. So, what is that? Yes. So if you ever go and see a mangrove tree, look on their roots. You'll see like these tiny little holes or these tiny little bumps. So those lentisoles essentially are just these specialized breathing tubes. It's actually to help them with their respiration when the roots are underwater during high tide. That's insane yeah yeah so they literally just snorkel they, they have built <laughs> snorkels for snorkel. it's kind of it's kind of the best way i can think to describe they're it. an elephant they got a trunk they do they they got a trunk you know that's that's kind of a cute way to think about it yeah yeah so um also something else that's really cool mangrove trees are considered to be a keystone species and here's how so mangrove trees, when they shed their leaves, when they fall down and they break down in the water, they become food for a lot of the microorganisms and algae. And then that in turn produ produces nutrient-rich uh, sources of food for other animals. And essentially it forms the basis for the food web within the mangrove tree. And a lot of animals, not just within the wetlands, but also marine animals, like we discussed earlier, really depend on this life cycle of the mangrove trees and the mangrove swamps in general in order to sustain themselves. So give it up for mangroves, y'all. Woo! Yay! We love them. Mm -hmm. We yeah, do love them. Out, learn more about these trees. Yeah. And, you know, moving on with uh, Abby's uh, burrito uh, conversation about mangroves. Maybe we should uh, make it a soggy burrito because it's wet. I was just going to say, <laughs> if you decide to make your burrito wet or or if you're at Chipotle and you get a quesarito, this is What's a quesarito? It is a quesadilla tortilla burrito. What? <laughs> that exists? So like, yeah. Uh, so Tyler! <laughs> Tyler! <laughs> I think that's an American thing, isn't it? Maybe. Well, yeah, but I but he's a Chipotle connoisseur. Fantastic. He's well, playing FIFA. I don't think he's listening to me. I'll ask him later. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta recruit the husband. Um, <laughs> so this is like the part that just elevates our mangrove conversation, okay? It's the conservation conversation. <laughs> Oh, we love it. What you got? So, so let's talk about how the burrito's destroyed. Oh boy. <laughs> so uh, as Kenzie was talking about, um, mangroves are nurseries of the ocean. 
Um, all of the fish will have their offspring here. Marine mammals like dolphins and manatees raise their young in these shallow, more protected waters. Uh, we talked about coastal birds migrate here to lay their eggs. Corals are found here too. I know Emily's going to be really happy that I mentioned that. Uh, and not to mention all the oysters and all the other filter feeders that are there to keep the water clear of debris and excess nutrients that make it so much safer for all the other animals to live. The arsters. The arsters. <laughs> That's a news uh, joke. <laughs> So if we don't have mangroves, we don't have so many keystone and flagship ocean species like some of the ones that I mentioned before. Um, mangroves are particularly susceptible to development since they occur in the coastlines, though. They are naturally susceptible to algae blooms and inclement weather like hurricanes, both of which are normal. But unfortunately, due to all types of pollution and global warming, both are occurring more frequently and more severely. But the biggest issue uh, that mangroves face is coastal urbanization. So basically what that means is when we overbuild on our shorelines, literally tearing out the mangroves to place a beachfront property in place. It's not worth it, y'all. Don't do it. <laughs> Just go camping. Yes. The catch here is that so many people don't realize that by having a beach home that has a mangrove forest in front of it will actually dramatically decrease damage from severe weather because they create a natural blockade for the shore behind them. So one of the really cool things about what mangroves can actually do directly for humans is that coastal um, urbanization uh, that is affected by coastal erosion, which is when um, all of the ocean water and soil gets pulled out and it increases tidal waves, which results in more severe storms and devastation to beaches and properties. And it actually costs Americans roughly $500 million in per year in property loss and damages. But remember, say, that's even more than Jess Bezos has, but that's not true. So never mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but remember what I said. Mangroves protect homes. If mangroves are in front of your coastline, it reduces energy from waves and tidal currents, thus reducing coastal damage. Yeah. Um, and as we've <laughs> recently seen coastal damage, it's not something to joke about by any no. means in, in no. reality. No. It's, it's actually devastating to, like, not only us as humans, but also a lot of the animals Mm -hmm. suffer too mm -hmm. so it's yeah. something that we have to start taking more seriously and if we build up these mangroves and like the coral reefs talk about that too saving those coral reefs actually helps a ton mm -hmm. so that's oh makes me so mad but is there anything that we can do emily to help with this oh my god yes uh <laughs> number one don't pollute duh <laughs> um <laughs> But some of the more niche things that you can try doing, um, you can try avoiding pesticides because they can cause runoff into waterways, um, which are a leading factor in algae blooms. Which um, is actually like one of our huge issues in Florida right now with the manatees. Yeah. Yes. That's why we've had a record year for manatee deaths is because there's been so such a bad red tide, especially in the Gulf, that we've rescued now over i think it's been like over 800 manatees this year that are rescued and over 800 that have died from mm -hmm. from the red tide yeah effects. 
But, like, it affects literally everything that lives in the ocean. Like, the dolphins, whales, sharks, fish that we eat. Um, it even affects ecotourism. So, guys, Yeah, you can't go swimming in the red tide. No, you cannot. Um, and speaking of ecotourism, try going on an ecotour in a mangrove. Uh, specifically look for um, ones that don't harm the environment, because if it harms the environment, then it's no longer an ecotour, okay? Um, and it gives you a chance to love the environment and fall in love with mangroves. And I don't know, maybe you can be like Abby and do some birding. <laughs> and Kenzie, and you, you literally told me you just went birding in Alaska. I know, I did. <laughs> Birdies for everyone. I'm so yes. jealous. I'm also very jealous. You got to see puffins. Oh my god, they're so cute. Anyways, I know. <laughs> um, I did ecotourism to see puffins, so you can do it too, guys. Um, but another thing that you guys can do is shop sustainably for your groceries. Try doing Meatless Monday to reduce the amount of animal farming pollution. Shop locally uh, for your food, reducing your carbon footprint. And eat sustainable fish to reduce from overfishing. There is literally so much you can do to make an impact for mangroves, even if you don't live in an area that has them. And the cool thing is, is that all these things that I mentioned don't just help mangroves. It helps literally the entire planet. So And humans. Mm-hmm. Correct. Remember... If you can't do it for the animals, I will tell you how you could also do it for yourself. So, <laughs> Is that enough motivation? <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good wrap. Um, I definitely learned some new things about mangrove swamps today. I'm, yes. I'm very excited. I really want to go kayaking through some mangroves. I've not done that. That's on my Florida bucket list. <laughs> All right. I'll go with you, and then afterwards we'll go eat burritos. I it think is a great idea. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is coming to bioluminescent season. <gasps> oh, my God. You're right. right. We can literally kayak in bioluminescent mangroves. I, Guys. I, I will cry. Uh, uh, you know what? That's it outing we're, we're we're having an outing and we are we're going to go kayak with some bioluminescent mangroves i'm and it. burritos and burrito <laughs> after yeah. i'm sorry i'm really hungry <laughs> <laughs> well, yourself some burritos and you too listener you know go, go enjoy a nice burrito this um, is your sign to go to chipotle <laughs> <laughs> or you know a, a, a better establishment sorry i, I lived yeah. in san antonio texas for six years it's better than Taco Bell, but it's still a farce. <laughs> uh, Taco Bell, I didn't say it's good Mexican or Tex-Mex food. It just is where I associate burritos. That's fair. You know, that's fair. Well, anyways, while you listeners are enjoying your burritos, uh, remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, feel free to email us if you have any questions or would like to chat with us. If you have any suggestions for future podcast episodes, uh, feel free to join us. We love chatting with you guys. Um, if you haven't already, we would love it if you became a Patreon. $5 a month and you get to be a Beluga Babe and we give you a shout out. But anyways, we just really appreciate any and all support that you are able to give us. I think, Abby, what was it? We just reached 5,000 collective views for all of our episodes. Yes! Which is weird I never want to listen to us. Yeah, I, I never thought we would reach that. But thank you guys so much for supporting us in any way, shape, and form you can. Um, this has been a really fun adventure. I'm glad that we're still able to continue it. So... Thank you guys. Thank you for joining us this week. Now go out there and stay sustainable.
Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. And get Bye. your shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, before we close out, uh, remember that other episode where I was really obsessed about grass and, and, uh, and, <laughs> Yes, it was yeah. the funniest episode we've ever recorded, The oh, Grasslands. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so it was suggested to me that instead of trying to look up plants of the Eurasian steppe, just take individual countries that are found within the Eurasian steppe. I found plants, guys. Oh my gosh! I found plants. I haven't found a lot of grass grass so far, but um, I found plants! Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> look at Thanks that. Thanks for suggesting. Look at that. I still want to go to the Eurasian step, though, to look at the grass. I still think there's there's a niche there, an academic niche there. That I, I think so. I think you'd be pretty good at it. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye. Go touch some grass. <laughs>